Here we are then this morning celebrating the event that, that lies at the very heart of our faith. The Easter story. The story of the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But for so many people who are there in the streets around us this morning, Easter means so very little. They either reject it, ignore it, or they just play around with it, reducing it to simply being about bunnies, bonnets, and Easter eggs. So people around us largely don't see any relevance for them in Easter at all. It's just an old tradition without any real meaning that we celebrate simply for the sake of it. Well, let me just share one or two illustrations just to try and help us to determine whether that attitude is right or not, whether Easter is something that we can choose to ignore without any real consequences. The first story concerns a man at a party who had had too much to drink. So he decided to, to walk home, and in doing so, he took a shortcut through the local cemetery. But lo and behold, as he walked along, he fell into a freshly cut, empty grave. And he tried to climb out as hard as he could, but in his inebriated state, failed to do so. So eventually exhausted, he decided just to curl up in a corner and hope that in the morning either he would be in better shape to get out or somebody would come along to help him. A short time later, someone else from the party in exactly the same state did exactly the same thing. And this person too tried to jump or climb out of this freshly cut grave and he made quite a racket doing so, shouting, jumping around to the extent that this woke up the first man who'd been lying unnoticed, sleeping in a corner of the grave. Quietly, he moved up behind the new arrival, tapped him gently on his shoulder, and then whispered in his ear, you'll never get out of here. <laughs> he did. <laughs> he did. Then there's a true story shared uh, to a pastor by his mother who told him that when he was five years old she took him to his grandfather's funeral. At the end of the funeral she took him to the graveside to look down at the coffin. He only had one question. How is grandpa ever going to get out of there? The answer of course is that from a natural, from a this-world perspective, Grandpa isn't getting out of the grave. No one who dies is getting out of the grave, with the result being the fear and hopelessness that many people feel today in the sense, in the face of death. Far from being semi-comic, it's actually for many people very real and, and overwhelming to the extent that countless people in our faithless Western society spend a lot of time and a lot of money just trying to hide from the inevitability of death, trying to fill up their lives to the extent that they've no time to think about that reality. But this is not so for Christians. This should not be the case for Christians. 
Because we believe that in the death and in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, that God defeated the power of Satan, of sin, and of death. That on the cross, Jesus paid the price of our sin. As there he stood, he hung in our place as a man. As there as God and man, he paid the price that we could never pay. His sinless Perfect life given for us. And then he rose again, demonstrating as he did so God's power over sin and over death. That while we may experience sin and experience physical death in this world, yet in Christ, because of God's victory in Jesus Christ, the dominating power of sin is broken. The crushing finality of death is no more. For as Christ is risen, so too we know we shall share in his resurrection. As he has gone to be with the Father, so we know that when we die, as we die in faith, that we shall go to be with him. John 14 verse 3, Jesus says, If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me that you also may be where I am. Now, of course, there are some people who reject the resurrection, who see it as a kind of first century fairy tale dreamed up by naive first century men. And there are others who doubt in the resurrection, who would perhaps like to believe it, but could something so incredible actually have happened? Yet others even doubt if it really matters. Surely, they say, if you have a belief of some kind in Jesus, surely, if inspired by him, you seek to follow him by living a a Christian life, surely that's enough. That's what matters. And all this Son of God resurrection stuff, isn't that all just first century superstition that we can dispense of at no real cost? Well, let's just try and answer some of these questions and more as we look here at what Paul shares of his view of the resurrection. So first then, he tells us here that if Christ was not raised from the dead, Our preaching is useless. It's useless. That's quite a statement for someone like Paul to make. For no one in the early church and no one since the time of the early church has ever been more committed to preaching and teaching the message of the cross and the resurrection than Paul. Just read his letters. Read particularly the the story of the birth of the early church in Acts. And that just comes through loud and clear. And in addition to this, there are very few people who have ever suffered more than Paul because of his preaching. In 2 Corinthians 11, from verse 24 on, he he shares with us just something there of what he endured. Five times he said, I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. 
I spent a night and a day in the open sea, and on it goes. I have labored and toiled, and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst, and have gone without food. I have been cold and naked. And besides everything else, I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. But you know, although the suffering of Paul might in its breadth be the most extreme, yet you know, at the same time, it's not untypical of the other apostles. Early church tradition tells us that all the apostles, save one, the apostle John, were martyred. They were all put to death because of their preaching of the crucified and risen Jesus. Now here though, Paul raises at least the possibility that that he and the other apostles are false witnesses. That these men, who apart from Paul, knew Christ during his earthly ministry, who met with the risen Christ post the resurrection, while Paul had that famous dramatic encounter with Christ on the Damascus Road, that they all made this up. That it didn't really happen. It was all a kind of wishful thinking. But I would say to you, wait a minute. Would these men, would any man, any men, go through what these men did for something that deep down they knew to be a lie? Something that was a figment of their imagination. Something perhaps that even conned themselves into believing. Would they do that? Would they do that as a group? Though they were spread throughout the world, would they all be able to keep this up? Would they all be able to maintain this pretense, this falsehood? Well, Charles Colson, one of the men involved in the, the Watergate scandal, that case of political corruption that led to the then US President Richard Nixon resigning, Colson, who was special counsel to Nixon, was known as his hatchet man, and who, because of his involvement in Watergate, spent time in prison. He doesn't believe that they would be able to maintain this. This is what he says. This man whose experience led him to become an evangelical Christian. He says, I know the resurrection is a fact, and Watergate proved it to me. How? Because 12 men testified that they had seen Christ raised from the dead. Then they proclaimed that truth for 40 years, never once denying it. Never once. Every one of them was beaten, tortured, stoned, and put in prison. They would not have endured that if it were not true. Watergate embroiled 12 of the most powerful men in the world. And they couldn't keep telling a lie for three weeks. So you're telling me these men told a lie for 40 years? Absolutely impossible. And I agree with Colson that the apostles could not have kept telling a lie or even living in a state of delusion for 40 years, not given the pressure that they were continually put under. So the alternative then is that the gospel shared by the apostles of the crucified and risen Jesus is the truth based on eyewitness testimony of those 
who were there. And that being the case, then far from useless, there is nothing more important than that we preach and share this message of Jesus in whatever way we can. Then Paul adds to this, that if Christ was not raised, then not only is our preaching useless, but also our faith is futile. Verse 17, and if Christ has not been raised from the dead, your faith is futile. Now how true that is. How true it is. For without the resurrection, all Jesus Christ is, is a man who claimed to be God. Or the world's greatest ever moral teacher. Or the most incredible example of love. And that's someone who might challenge us and inspire us. But the resurrection, it really ties the bow of salvation. It confirms to us unequivocally who Jesus is, what he did for us. It confirms to us the life-transforming power of God, the life-transforming resurrection power of God that comes into our lives as we put our trust in this Jesus. And please be clear that as we put our faith in the resurrected Jesus, that is life-transforming. Resurrection faith, far from being futile, leads to life transformation. It's a new life, a new birth, with changed values, changed priorities, changed ambitions, with a changed perspective on life. And you know, if this doesn't happen in our life, if our faith in Jesus doesn't lead to that kind of change, then our faith might be futile, but in a slightly different way as is illustrated by the story of a preacher out on the American frontier during those early pioneering days. And he preached his sermon, and he ended up his sermon in this frontier church with an appeal. All those who want to go to heaven, put up your hands. Everyone enthusiastically put up their hands. Everyone that is, except for this old cowboy who'd been sitting at the back door of the church. And he got up, Walked down the aisle to to the front with his spurs jangling. I love that detail. Preacher, he said, you made that too easy. How do you know whether these folks are serious? I can guarantee to be able to prove who really means it and who doesn't. Let me just say, incidentally, I'm absolutely with the cowboy here in my first church. We had a speaker from an American mission team who addressed a a group of five to seven-year-old boys and posed exactly that same question, who wants to go to heaven? All of them raised their hands, and every one of them was counted as a new convert by that team. I can't tell you how that affected me. But anyway, but the preacher here gave the okay. He said, sure, go ahead and put the test of these good people to the test. Ask them any question that you want. Immediately, the cowboy drew his twin six-shooters from the holster and pointed them at the congregation and asked the question once more, who wants to go to heaven? (laughs) Raise your hands. Now, it's not a perfect illustration by any means, but I hope you can see what it's getting at. 
That not only is our faith futile if it's not a faith in a resurrected Jesus, but also there are signs, indications, that is if our faith doesn't lead to a changed life and changed priorities, there are signs there that our faith also is futile. In the sense that while we might accept certain facts and propositions about Jesus, yet have we truly given our heart and life to Jesus? Have we really recognized him for who he is and have we bowed the knee to him as our Lord? For I ask you, can we have faith in a crucified, resurrected Jesus without our lives being changed? Or is our faith futile? Do we simply believe a few facts about him or have we by faith recognized, seen the crucified and risen Jesus as our Savior and Lord? Have we by faith entered into a relationship that inevitably leads us into living a new and changed life? So Paul tells us then that if Christ was not raised from the dead on that first Easter, then our preaching is useless. Our faith is futile. And also he tells us that sin's power is unbroken. Verse 17 again. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Now what Paul is is getting at here is that the resurrection of Jesus Christ is the final, the clinching proof of God's victory over Satan, sin, and death. For you see, his resurrection demonstrates unequivocally that the dominating power of Satan, sin, and death has been broken in Christ. Now, let's be clear. It's not that they have no power in this world, no power in our lives because Satan does still have power sin still does have power and death is still a physical reality but they no longer have dominated power now let's think about what this means particularly in relation to sin okay so a Christian can sin every Christian here knows that we experience that a Christian can engage in all the sins that are common to man We can. But here is the difference. In Christ, we can now choose to do otherwise. In Christ, we can now choose not to sin. Sin can still influence us, but because of God's victory in Christ, because of the resurrection of Christ, sin can no longer compel us. It can no longer dominate us. That, I believe, is what Paul is getting at in Romans, 11, uh, Romans 6, 11 and 12, when he says there, in the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because of this, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, so that you obey its evil desires. You see, that's, that's about choice. Do not let sin reign. We can still choose to sin, but because of the victory of Jesus Christ, we can now choose to do 
otherwise. And Paul gives, uh, opens up a little bit more how we can live in this victory a little further on in Romans, in Romans 8 verse 9. He says there, You, however, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you. So you see, what he's saying is, it's a matter of, of day by day, moment by moment, seeking, committing ourselves to live in the Spirit, seeking to live our lives yielded to the Spirit. And never, never, while we're in this body of flesh, will we totally escape from the influence of sin. But as we seek the Spirit, as we keep on yielding ourselves to the Spirit, so then the resurrection power of Jesus Christ will enable us to live lives that are marked and stamped clearly by the victory of Jesus Christ. And you'll write from the days of the early church, from the apostles Paul and Peter, others like them and the many other Christians who followed in their footsteps, right from those early days, the transformed lives of Christians. The signs seen in their lives that the power of sin has been broken. This has been one of the most compelling truths of the truth of, of Christ's resurrection and of the truth of his resurrection power. Now, during the, the late 19th century, let me share with you an incident that I believe illustrates, I think, this so well. During the late 19th century, Charles Bradler, who was supposedly one of the outstanding intellectuals of his time, he challenged a, a local preacher of the gospel near where he lived to a debate um, in London. And this debate was focused on comparing the claims of Christianity with the claims of atheism, with Bradlaugh, of course, being the, the champion of atheism. And the local minister there agreed to this on one condition that Bradlaugh would bring with him 100 people whose lives had been changed by atheism. If he did so, the minister, Hugh Price Hughes, promised that he would bring 100 people whose lives had been changed by God. And then just to bring this point home, to drive it home, he even offered to debate Bradlaugh if he could bring 50 people who'd been changed by their atheism or 20, or 10, he actually eventually got it down to one. If Bradlaugh could bring one man or one woman whose lives had been demonstrably changed for the better by their commitment to atheism, he would debate him. Finally, but understandably, Bradlaugh got the point and withdrew his invitation to debate. You see... It's only Jesus Christ, only Christ by his resurrection power, only Jesus who is able to break the power of sin and transform the lives, turn around the lives of those who put their trust in him. So again, Paul tells us that if Christ has not been raised, that our preaching is useless, our faith is futile, and sin's power is unbroken. But as we've seen, none of this is the case. Preaching is not useless. Faith is not futile. The power of sin has been broken, all because Jesus Christ did indeed 
rise from the dead. And because of this, and because of what Christ is doing in our lives right now, many of us who know and trust him, we have hope. Today we have hope. We have assurance that the God who has worked in history, the God who is at work in our lives in the here and now, that he's got so much more for us. So much more in this life and so much more he's going to do in us in eternity. And you know, today, we want everyone here who doesn't yet know Jesus Christ to know this as well. We want you to know God at work in your life right now with so much more to come. So we say, today, put your faith, put your trust in Jesus Christ. In Jesus, God and man who died on the cross to pay the price of all our sin. Jesus, the risen Lord, who rose from the dead, who defeated the power of of Satan and sin, and so who gives us hope, assurance, as we put our trust in him, that his victory is now our victory. In the face of the challenges of life in this world and of what lies at the end of this life, Jesus Christ and he alone can give us victory and give us hope. But you know, maybe you're here and that sounds like an awful big step to you. Because it would mean, to some extent, stepping out into the unknown. And it would mean change. And you're nervous about that. You're worried about what that might mean. And you're worried about what others might think. Well, I read the, a story that relates to this the other day. It's, it's got its roots in the, the Middle East. And it's the story of a spy who was caught and who was then sentenced to death by a Persian general. But this Persian general, he had a strange custom of giving condemned men the choice. The choice of either facing the firing squad or of walking through the big black door. And he gave this spy the choice. He hesitated. He thought about it for a long time and then he chose the firing squad. And the general and one of his subordinates sat there while the the shots ran out and the general turned to his companion and said, They always prefer the known to the unknown. It is characteristic of people to be afraid of the new and that which they do not yet fully understand. And then finally his aide asked, but what lies behind that big black door? Freedom, replied the general. But I've only known a few men brave enough to take it. You know, maybe today, Maybe faith in Jesus seems to you like a big black door. Different, uncertain, unknown. I would ask you to open that door and walk through it by faith. Because on the other side of the door, there lies not an easy life. I would never promise you that. The Bible doesn't. But there lies with God a life full of purpose and meaning. There lies a life of blessing and fulfillment. There lies there a life where God will walk with you and enable and strengthen you every step of the way right into eternity. 
Jesus rose again to glorious life. And he wants you to know that life. He wants to give you something of his life. All you have to do is take hold of that by faith. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we stand here today as people who can know that resurrection power of Jesus. You've won the victory, and you want each one of us to share in that victory, to know that victory, to experience the joy of that victory. Lord, you call us now to put our trust in you. May each one of us be ready today to answer your call. In Jesus' name, amen.